morning, church. Thank you for giving. I'm really happy to hear about this golf simulator. It's not like when you go to the fair and you look in the mirrors and you just, I always want to saddle up to the skinny mirror, D. Green. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just, the skinny mirror that I don't have to suffer like Shamika does. And never, never mind. But, but the golf simulator, that's great. The last time I played golf was in college. It was in college. And let me tell you, the score was more like a bowling score than a golf score. And so man has to realize his limitations. So I'm going to get in the simulator and pretend like I can play some golf. It's going to be great. Oh, my goodness. So great to be here this morning. Don't you love the season that we're in? The Halloween stuff was out by July 4th. And, um, and then somewhere while they, you know, somewhere about the back to school, the Santa, the Santa kind of came out at the same time. And, and now you go into stores, you know, and you don't know if it's coming or going. You got, you got the Halloween stuff and the Santa Claus stuff all happening at the same time. And in 60 days, you know, we go from a celebration of death. Then we, we get a little gratitude in there so we can overeat in November. And then over on this side, we have a celebration of life with a new birth, Jesus. I mean, even the heathens have got a hold of this, right? And so, but it's the juxtaposition we find ourselves in between death and life. And could I submit to you that it's this juxtaposition that creates most of the consternation of where you and I find ourselves. It's between death and life. We have a new grandson. His name is Miles. I should have put a picture up there because he's, he's also beautiful and perfect. Yes. It took my son a while to get around to it, but he done good. I'm proud of him. All right. But you know, you just, you just see, you know, I mean, he, the, the things that they can do and how flexible they are and they're just learning and full of life. But you begin to realize that, you know, you, you start out and then it all begins to just do this and you're kind of headed toward these bodies wearing out and, and death and stuff like that. And here we are right in the crack of things. And yet, how many of you find yourselves many times in the throes of something dying around your life. Now, I know we're in church this morning, and we're, we're supposed to be getting our church on. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, and you know, everybody, how you doing, brother? I'm just blessed. I'm not stressed. You know, we, we're just lying to each other in the lobby. You know, we're coming in here, dragging body parts behind us. We would love to tell somebody our sad story, but this is church. We can't do that. And yet many of you come in here this morning and there's a real sense that something around your life desperately needs some resurrection. Many of you are finding yourself seemingly at the end, getting to the end of your last dollar or maybe to the end of your credit limit on that last credit card. That child is on your last nerve. You know what I'm talking about. And yet it's amazing for my, for my life how long it takes me to get to the end because it's at the end where God shows up. Nobody heard that. So if I want God to show up faster, somehow I need to get the end of me faster. And I'm amazed at many times how long I can keep things going. 
keep things propped up. Going to get me another 0% card and pay that balance off and transfer that sucker over here and just keep it moving. You know what I'm talking about. And so here we are, you know, with our finances, you know, artificially resuscitating something. What, what many times what God is saying is just let it die. Just go ahead and get to the end faster so that I can show up faster. We find 1 Kings 17, 18, 19 stories about the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah's quite the man. The first time we see Elijah showing up in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, he's shutting the weather off. Now, you know, I, I appreciate intercessors, you know, and the tornado or the hurricane comes and they pray and it shifts a couple of degrees. But this is a dude that says, all right, we're done. No rain, no dew, no nothing. We're going to dry up around here and it's, I'm, I'm shutting it off. And it's not going to happen again until I say so. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's some influence with God right there. I mean, when you really can just shut the heavens off, and as a result, as you can imagine, things begin to happen in the economy. Famine ensues. There's nothing on the shelves at Wegmans. The economy tanks. Folks are down on the mall. They're mad because there's no bread in the store. I mean, and, what is, and, and why did he do this? Well, basically to manifest God's unhappiness with the state of the nation and its leader at that particular moment. Very interesting. You know, it's interesting that some years ago I was in one of my younger, dumber, meaner, prophetic modes. And I was just praying, oh God, you're a righteous, holy God. Why won't you come down and just deal with this nation in accordance with that righteousness? He said, because your children live here, fool. You know, it's amazing when you realize that your babies and your grandbabies live here. All of a sudden, you're in a righteous remnant mode. God, for the sake of 10, would you destroy the city? I mean, all of a sudden now, it begins to shift around quite a bit. And so, but here in this moment, Elijah has prophesied something now that has come on him. Where was he supposed to eat? What's he supposed to drink? But he prophesies in obedience, and then God says in verse 2, he says, leave here, turn, go eastward, go to the Kareth Ravine, you'll drink from the brook, and I've ordered ravens to feed you there. So he did it. It says, so a couple of times a day, these ravens come, they bring meat and bread, and he's drinking water out of this brook. Now, some commands here. Number one, leave. You got to leave where you are. I'm going to come back to some of this. Second, Hide. Now, we know from 1 Kings 18 that they were looking for Elijah. Ahab realized this is the dude that made, that brought all this trouble. We find him and we're going to exert some pressure on him and otherwise make him turn the water back on. And so God knew it was going to be important in this moment for Elijah to go hide somewhere. And the Kareth Ravine was at the other end of nowhere, if you look at it on a map. And then you will. In other words, it's got something for you to do when you're there. You will. When those birds bring you food, you will eat and you will drink out of that pond because I've ordered the ravens to do it. Very interesting that many times we find ourselves in the midst of how can God do anything? 
in my family? How can God do anything in this nation? How can, how in the midst of this situation, how can God be God? Isaiah cried out the same thing. He said, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among unclean people and I've seen God. The famous prayer in John 17, God, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but keep the world from getting in and on them. And yet many times we look at the circumstances of life and we're good Pentecostals and so we learn to loose and bind and rebuke and bind that loose and rebuke that bind. And many times it's the very circumstance that got you there is the very circumstance that God is going to use to show up. The very thing that you are rebuking and asking God to rapture you out of many times is the very same circumstance that he himself has ordered or allowed. He has ordered or ordained in order to bring you into the greatest moments of both promise and provision you've ever known. Can you imagine Elijah? He's looking around and he's like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better place. I mean, Kara, this is in the end of nowhere. I mean, I've got no cell reception out here. I mean, then, and these birds, can we talk about these birds for a minute? Ravens, really? These big three-pound, nasty black birds? I mean, can you imagine when they showed up with lunch? Can you imagine what Elijah must have thought? I wonder, Ooh, what, what, what kind of mess are they bringing me now? Why is that? Because ravens, first of all, by nature... They don't take, they don't bring, they take. They're scavengers. And the thing that attracts a raven, quite frankly, I know this is a bit unsavory for a Sunday morning, but the smell of death is what attracts ravens. And so they smell something that, that, that is dying or decaying and the ravens come down and begin to prey upon that. Can you imagine me? Uh, and here's Elijah, a man of God. This is possibly the nastiest bird we can possibly think of. But God says, I have ordered these birds to defy the very nature of who they are to come and provide for you. Oh, my goodness. Now, everybody's already leaping to the end of this sermon. And that's all right. Go ahead and go there. But if God could do it with a nasty bird, don't think God can't do it with a lot of other nasty birds around your life right now. And many times that that smell that smells like death is the very thing that attracts God. You know, there are a lot of things that attract God. Worship, incense of prayer, all kinds of things. But you know, I begin to realize there's another odor that attracts God. It's death. You know why? One, death doesn't terrify God the same way it does you and me. You and I are afraid of death. Just flat fact. Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about we've been held in bondage or slavery all of, because of our fear of what? Death. And yet once death has been defeated... It doesn't hold any fear anymore. And here's a little secret. Somebody that's not afraid to die, they ain't afraid of nothing. And the enemy knows this. That's why it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And once we move past this one, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be unstoppable at that point. 
Hmm. Moving too fast. <laughs> Jesus and Lazarus. Sisters run up to him. Where have you been? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. I mean, they're all up in his face. And Jesus, I mean, Jesus was purposely saying, you know what? If I get there too early, they're just going to say he was asleep. He was in a coma. So, you know, I'm just going to hang back for a moment. I'm going to be real sure the man is really dead. And there's no question how dead he is. To the point that they had put Lazarus in a tomb. You remember this story? And Jesus said, roll the rock back. And they said, you really don't want to do that. He'd been in there for a moment. He'd bit ripe. <laughs> but you see, that smell of death was not for Jesus' benefit. It was for everybody else's benefit. They wanted them. Jesus wanted them to experience the brother is not asleep. He dead. He real dead. He's decomposing dead. Here's the greater miracle was not coming at the last moments of his life and healing him from an illness. It was to raise him from the dead. Do you realize that that aroma of death that you think God has somehow abandoned you, he can't do anything with, do you realize it is a very aroma that hits the nostrils of God that says, now watch, I'm getting ready to be God. I'm getting ready to do something the doctors can't do. So there's going to be no question of glory on the backside of this thing that it was a new drug or a skilled surgeon. Oh, no, 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 no. It's going to be, I'm God. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll be here all week. But we're terrified of it. And we'll do everything that we can to stay away from it. I've told this story before, but it's apropos in this message. And I'm old and I don't have many stories left. 1989, I'll tell a couple of stories around this time frame because it was really a seminal year in my wife's life and myself and our family. But we, God had told us to move to the farm. The farm, place where my mother and my grandmother lived, working farm, you know, the Waltons, nobody's ever seen that. But my wife and I had watched too many Waltons reruns. So we decided, well, let's do this thing. So we move our two children's out there and so we've got four generation of women in the same kitchen. Come on, ladies. Four, count them. All right? Grandmother, mother, daughter-in-law, and the granddaughter in the same kitchen. Da-da-da-dee-dee-dee. Everybody getting this thing now? All right? That's why I spent a lot of time outside on the tractor away from everybody else. Okay? And so my, my wife and I said, do this thing. And now we were living at that point an hour away from the church, an hour away from our friends. And in that part of North Carolina, you needed a passport to go an hour to go anywhere. It's not like Northern Virginia. You just crank it up and go into the grocery store in an hour, but not in North Carolina. So we're, I'm commuting back and forth during this couple of year period of time. And it was a friend of mine who was a prophet described the season very apropos. He said, I have a vision and I see you with a sledgehammer slamming at a big rock and making smaller rocks out of the rock. I said, thank you very much. How about peek again and get me a better vision than that? But at the end of that period of time, within about a 72 hour time frame, the cloud of grace had moved. I felt it. 
My wife felt it at the same time independently. And we came together and we said, this makes no natural sense. All of the circumstances by which we moved here to help my grandmother and my mother and help look after this property, all of the natural reasons are still here. And God said, move, move. And we did. Let me just tell you, it was hard. It was very, very hard to be obedient in that particular moment. Pastor Jared, I loved his, I loved his transition this morning, and I was going to subtitle this, this entire message, Led or Fled, as to whether or not we're leaving something or whether or not we are coming in to something. But I can tell you this, it was as a result of that act of obedience that set in motion a series of miracles in our lives. A series of miracles in our lives. During that same time frame, I got this letter from the Internal Revenue Service. Now, if you've never gotten one of those, trust me. I'm not talking about one of those calls where, you know, they're calling you from Mumbai and they're going to come arrest you, you know, at the courthouse and you are going to be. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real live bona fide piece of mail that says you owe. You owe, and you owe big. And that, as a matter of fact, we owed so big, it was a third of our annual salary at the moment. Now, take whatever you make, divide by, and, and you get a number in your mind. And you realize you have a moment, would you not? All right, you, you, you would have a moment. And I remember, and I just had a breakdown in that particular moment, but it was a happy breakdown. I started to laugh. And this was not the usual way that I responded. You can ask her after the service. And I came in and said, <laughs> we got a death certificate from the Internal Revenue Service. See this right here? We did. Can you say living in the station wagon? We're dead. We can't pay this. There is no other credit card that I can go manipulate to take care. We are finished. We Yay, we're dead. Dead, 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 dead. Within the next 12 months, after finally declaring that there was nothing I could do, God said, now, step off. Watch this. Not only was the tax lien completely paid off, all of our debts were paid off. I sold my business. It wasn't the kind of business that you sell. You just close the door and walk away. Sold my business and within a matter of months was full-time in ministry in the church. As a result... Of one, being willing to move when the cloud moved. But secondly, declaring, God, I'm done. I can't do this. You're going to have to do it. Do you know how many times God is waiting for you and me to just step off and hand off? Step off and hand off. So that there's no question. And this is why, and, and, I, can, and I can look years later at the series of miracles that got set into motion as a result of that one act of movement. Because you see, our obedience is not just for our blessing and provision. It's for those around us as well. You keep reading this story. 
The moment comes and the ravens start getting flaky and they're not coming like they were and the water in the brook begins to dry up. God says, I have commanded. That's interesting. I have ordered these ravens to do something, but I have commanded a widow in a place called Zarephath. That word literally means refinement. Because let me just tell you, you get to a place like this and there will be a refinement in your life. And I have commanded her to care for you in that place. Now, it's very interesting is that Zarephath was in Sidon, Gentile region. This is the holy man of God, God calling him now from being fed by unclean birds to now move to an unclean place and move into the home of an unclean family. So certainly you can imagine that Elijah was probably thinking, well, at least the woman's hooked up. I mean, she got to have money. I mean, why in the world would God send me down there? And, and, and so he gets to the city gate, and here is a woman gathering sticks. Now, this is a picture of poverty. And God reveals, this is the one. Can you imagine Elijah? Really? Seriously? I mean, I'm out here, I'm in the wilderness, eating, you know, drinking out of a brook. I got birds bringing me God knows what, where it came from, because I know it's not FDA-inspected meat that they're bringing. <laughs> Certainly not certified organic, I can tell you that. And now you bring me down here to this poor widow woman, and so he asked us, would you bring me a drink of water? Now, it's very, very interesting how reflective this is of Jesus asking another Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman sometime later for a drink of water. She had no idea what she was about to get, and neither does this woman. And he said, and would you bring me a little piece of bread? This dear woman is thinking, where have you been? Have you been to Wegmans lately? There ain't nothing on the shelf. And you're asking me for bread. She said, listen, prophet boy, all I've got left in my house is a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. I was gathering sticks to make a fire, make one last meal so me and my son can die. Talk about getting to the end. And the prophet then makes a completely arrogant request. Make that last meal and give it to me. Can you imagine the hubris that's involved in making a request like that? I mean, here's a woman with her young child, and you're saying, I want you to take the last meal out of his mouth and give it to me. Wow. And as she does this, he says, and here's the word for you. He said, because of this action, as long as there's famine, your oil jar will never run dry, and you'll always have flour in your jar. And sure enough, as a result of her giving and her sacrifice in that moment, she and her son ate really well for the next few years. What an amazing story there. What an amazing story. She had no idea the blessing and provision that was about to come upon her. And yet, how many times do you and I miss the blessings of God? One, because all we see is a widow woman gathering sticks. All we see is some heathen, some Gentile. We have, no, we have no picture that God ever sent a big angel 
and talk to this woman. We have no idea that she ever, quote, became a believer in Yahweh. But God commanded this heathen woman to provide. Do you realize that God can command anybody around your life, your employer, that person in that retail shop. It doesn't matter if they're Muslim or Hindu or atheist or agnostics. If God so chooses to use them, you're going to get blessed. And I know for a long time it was real important. Is this a Christian business? Do they have a fish in the window? We get no picture whatsoever. This was not the criteria for the prophet being cared for. But do you realize that this heathen woman, she watched God do something. Do You see, when we operate in obedience like this, the blessing extends. That place that God has you at work, God, why have you got me here? Maybe it's because I want to see the rest of those heathens that you're working with. That business is going to get blessed. Your presence here changes. You're not just a thermometer. You're a thermostat right here. You are changing the environment. You are creating an atmosphere for the miraculous where you've been put. And yet many times we just, we're praying for a rapture. And God is saying, my calling and my placement is absolute sure. It's certain because I got something for you, but I got something for them. My goodness. And how often do we miss God's blessing? Because the source from whence it's coming is not what we thought it would be. Naaman, you remember this story well? Army commander going down to see the prophet Elijah, going to get his skin problem dealt with. Prophet wouldn't come out, sent his, sent his man out to deal with it. He said, I ain't doing it. I thought the man of God would come out. I would come down to the front. And Pastor Brett would come down here personally and lay his hands on me and tell me something in Hebrew. <laughs> and I, I got all these prayer minions down here. And I have no idea who these people are. Where do, where Pastor Brett, get him out of the green room and get him down here. And Naaman almost missed his. Almost missed his because the blessing came from a place and in a way he wasn't expecting. Listen to me, saints. God wants to do some things in your life, but what we've got to do first, we've got to get our head out of it. We've got to get our spirits engaged. And then God asks us many times, What's in your house? He asked this woman, the prophet asked his widow, what have you got? Well, I got some oil and some flour. Great. It's all we need for biscuits. It's all we need. Elisha shows up in another widow's home. What's in your house? Nothing. Well, except a little oil. Great. It's all we need. Go get some containers. Start pouring. Watch this. Boy shows up with some loaves and some fishes, just bringing groceries home. Looks around. How are we going to feed all these folk? I don't know what we got. Well, got this boy over here and he's bringing groceries. That's all we need. Just start praying. You just give thanks and start breaking. Watch this. Then a few thousand people get fed. What's in your house? 
What's in your hand? But many times, not unlike this widow, what would be the thing that we would want to do looking at our dying son and looking at this potential for making this last meal? How many of us would want to do what? Hang on to it. Just, just, just hang on to it. And God is saying, if you'll release it, whether it's financial resource, whether it's your talents, whether it's the gifts that God has given you, if you will just turn it loose, I'm going to do something on the order of a miracle of multiplication you cannot even imagine. Some of you all ain't got it yet. And the generational impact. Can you imagine this boy? I mean, the rest of his classmates, they're out there and they're all skinny and emaciated and they're getting all these diseases. And some of them, they, they're trying to, trying to get a soccer team together and then, you know, one of them dies overnight. I mean, everybody looking bad, it's a famine. And yet this kid at the end of the street that's got the weird prophet guy living it, he looks good. He's eating every day. He's buff. Can you imagine? It's just like, what in the world is going on down there? Because this child was eating. Everybody else wasn't in this particular moment. And the boy is seeing this miracle. Every day, he's hanging out in that kitchen wondering, any more flour in that jar? Any more oil going to come out of that jar? And he sees every day that miracle continuing to occur. This woman, her name is Corey Ten Boom. You may have never heard that name before. But she and her family, Netherlands, correct? Dutch. They hid Jews during World War II. And their whole family was arrested. They were thrown into the camps. And she was there with her sister, Betsy. And their sister was always a bit sickly. And they had this one little bottle. It was dark. They couldn't see inside, but there were vitamins in this bottle. And she knew that as long as there were vitamins, that it would help sustain her sister's life in that horrendous place. And every day, drop, putting that eyedropper down in there and pulling it back out, there were always the requisite drops. Kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. It's interesting, I, I thought about, it says that we see in part and prophesy in part like seeing through a glass darkly. See, this is the place where our faith is formed right here. And as long as her sister was alive, she perished in the camp, sadly. But as long as her sister was alive, the vitamins showed up in that jar every day. The day after her sister died, the jar was dry. Now, that's a very poignant story. But the same thing happens with you and with me is generationally what happens Sometime later, this same boy in the story, he dies. This woman says, what have you done to come into my house? Remind me of my sin that my son would now die. And what we find recorded in this passage is the very first recorded instance of the dead being raised in Scripture. We find three instances in the Old Testament. One by Elijah right here, two by Elisha, his disciple. This is the first. And he comes back to life after Elijah prays for him. It's amazing. She says, now I know that you are a man of God. I'm like, really, woman? Seriously? 
can we step back into the kitchen and can we just check out the canisters here just for a moment? But you know, it's amazing for you and for me, the routine miracles that God continues to do in our life that all of a sudden we get numb to all of a sudden. That somehow now we almost feel entitled to all of a sudden. That now we need to see something extraordinary so that we know that he's still God. Uh-oh, got real quiet right there. Now I know that you are a man of God because you raised my boy from life. Dear woman, I did that years ago when I kept the oil and flour flowing. And we look at the entire backdrop of this story. Famine, ravens, a widow about to die, a son dying, yet. We see this amazing principle that we can never escape is death before resurrection. We all want resurrection. We just don't want the death to come before it. I'm sorry. But for something by this very definition to be resurrected, it has to first be dead. And if we will trust God enough with whatever that thing is around our life that seems completely lifeless, as a matter of fact, it's beginning to get a bit odiferous. Let me just tell you, if you will stop trying to spray perfume all over that thing and calling it something that it's not and saying, God, it's dead and I can't do anything about it. God says, step back and watch this. Many of you are on the precipice of a miracle just like that. Just like that. So I asked the question, where is your famine right now? What has seemingly died around your life? The very circumstances you're rebuking more than likely are the very same circumstances that God is using in order to show up, to show off. Has your brook stopped flowing? Then maybe you need to get up and move. And for many of us, that doesn't mean geographically that we're supposed to go to Myrtle Beach or we're supposed to go to wherever it might be. God bless if God calls you to do that. But I got to tell you, most of the movement in my life now is attitudinally. It's in a place of renewed thinking. It's in a place where God is saying, I want to do something in the realm of faith and in the realm of trust in me. I want you to move from here to here. Therefore, here's the, here's the road how, by which we're going to get there. It's going to generate faith. And you know what that road's titled? Circumstance in life. You can't escape it. Because these are the very tools that God uses to show himself and perfect us. Lessons from Kareth, ordered and ordained. Let's pray. Lord, help us today hear something well. God, we want to be a people. We, we talk about being Holy Ghost people and wanting to move in gifts and signs and wonders and miracles. And we, yes, we say yes and amen, Holy Spirit. Have your way among us. But God, we embrace death that we might embrace life. God, those things around our life that you never intended would bring life are the very things that need to die first. 
God, we thank you that you have defeated death and the grave. Never been done by any other deity ever. That early church was known, not just that they spoke in tongues and prophesied a bit, but the buzz in that church was resurrection. That's what they were talking about. Not the latest sermon, not the new song, not the new building. The buzz in the church was resurrection. God, thank you that we can look forward to such a resurrection. We have no fear of death because you have conquered it. Whatever today has died around your life, ask God to come resurrect it. Ask God to come do what only he can do. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's something in that job that desperately needs life. Ask him. He declared about himself that he was the way, the truth, and the life. 